Shut up and sit down. Welcome to Valley Talk. I'm your host, Heather Stark, and I'm here with a special guest. Christy, welcome. Thank you for having me. This is Christy Fox. She's a new volunteer here at Valley 104.9, and she's also a local resident. She went to the University of Washington Law School. She has a background in law. She is an attorney in the state of Washington, and she's done real estate development and all sorts of things. She's done some pretty interesting things. So thank you for joining us. You are here so we can talk specifically about some of the goings-on in the Valley and reacquaint you with what's going on here and, and just talk about what's happening. Yes, there have been some very interesting developments just in the past few days, especially incarnation. What? What are you talking about? Well, I'm specifically talking about the development agreement between the city of Carnation and Mainview Homes. Um, it, there was a meeting the other night, and at that meeting, the proposed public hearings for scheduled for, I believe, August 5th and August 19th were postponed. Um, they were postponed because, according to, I believe, the city, uh, the SEPA requirements, that's the State Environmental Policy Act, uh, hadn't been completed or they had some new information or needed some new information. It wasn't exactly clear. Um, so those meetings have been postponed. Those meetings are the only public hearing, official public hearing, that the development agreement between Mainview Homes and the city uh, will the, the the only ones that actually will happen? Uh, Let's can we review the whole process in case some people are not familiar with it? If there's a new development that apply, they have to apply for permission to do a development, and they apply to the city or the county if it's in in the county area, and then there's all sorts of requirements like the SEPA, like the whatever, and then there's usually a public hearing if it's big enough. Not if it's just an individual house usually, but if it's a big enough development, then they have public hearings. But they usually don't have those until they're pretty far down in that process. And because I'm such an old curmudgeon that anybody who listens to the show knows, I always wonder, how can you go through all this planning and then just kind of when you're real close to the end, then that's when we're going to get input from the public. What's the rationale behind that? The rationale behind that is that there are so many details to be worked out in a major development. And this particular one is a major development. It's, I think, 35 acres approximately. They're talking about doing 130-odd homes, 133, something like that. Uh, And there's a lot to be worked out to do something like that from a raw piece of land. This isn't a situation where the land is already developed, the streets are already in, and they just want to decide what kinds of houses to build on it. This is a piece of land that has not been developed. It's not zoned for uh, housing at this point. So what they do is they do what's called a development agreement. Now, the city of Carnation has come pretty late to the development agreement. They only passed an ordinance allowing development agreements, I believe, last fall. And what a development agreement does is it consolidates an awful lot, not all, but an awful lot of the details that are necessary to be resolved to develop and build on that kind of a piece of property. And it gives the developer, often developer-builder, they're often combined, and in this case I believe it is, it gives them concessions. 
in return for what are known as public benefits. Uh, for instance, they, um, in this particular case, they want R12 zoning, which means that it's fairly high density zoning, and the city of Carnation has regulations for that zoning as to how many multifamily and how many single family are allowed. In this case, Mainview is asking for that proportion to be changed so they can do more multifamily and, uh, excuse me, more single family and fewer multifamily. They're multifamily, they want to do townhouses. And in exchange, they've listed a number of things that they're willing to do. Um, the biggest one that people seem to be talking about, at least on Facebook, where there's a consistently passionate discussion about this, is the possibility of a traffic signal at uh, 203 and Tolt Road. Um, but that, of course, involves the city and the city and the state, so that gets very complicated. State or the county? Um, I oh, excuse me, the county, okay. county. I believe. I believe I don't it's know. a county road. I, I believe don't know. it's a county road. I think I it is too. It's a county yeah. road. Yeah, yeah, it's a county road. But I know that sometimes the state assists. You know, some of the county funding doesn't come just from the county. It comes right. From the state for right. road stuff. And know. the county has different um, priorities and different requirements for doing traffic control on mm -hmm. its roads than might be what the city or the city residents want. So that's one of the public benefits that Mainview has proposed. And alternatively, if that's not possible because the county won't let them do it, giving the city, uh, I think it's $700,000 to do other traffic ameliorations in their mm -hmm. area. They're also talking about buffers and they're talking about landscaping and things like that. Uh, but the whole point of a development agreement is to settle these things in advance of the, from the developer's point of view, it establishes things that they can do before they commit to the rather large investment that developing a piece of property mm -hmm. is before they ever come out of the ground with houses. But then that brings me back to my initial question. They've already got that all worked out between the city and the developer or the county and the developer. And so then, well, after it's all worked out and it's pretty much a done deal, then they ask for public input? Well, it's not a done deal. It's not a done deal until the city council passes an ordinance allowing that development agreement to become a, a binding contract because that's what a development agreement is. It's a contract between mm -hmm. the city and the developer. And that's why the public hearings are there to get public input. It's the public's chance to, uh, to disagree with some mm -hmm. of the conditions. Does it ever change anything though? Does it ever actually change anything? Oh yes. Give oh, me yes. an example. Tell me when you've seen it be, uh, be something actually change anything. I can't come up with any examples in this immediate mm -hmm. area, and it's been a while since I have been involved in real estate development. Mm -hmm. um, but it can. It absolutely can. The public yeah. can make a difference. But one of the problems is that too often the public is not unified on what they want. 
Um, you have different factions. Different you know, factions. And we, and we certainly see that in our environment, yes. in, our, in our community. Yes. You know, we've got the people who, yeah, 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 we're going to grow and we like this and we need the store that I want to have. And, and then we've got the no, 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 quit taking away our farmland. I mean, it's definitely a bifurcated it's kind ver- of community. Very much so. Um, one, one development that it, it's not here at all, it was back in Illinois that I was involved in a while ago, although it's still ongoing, they're still building it, was a townhome development in the downtown area of not a small town, it was actually a suburb of Chicago, but it was some people, some of the neighbors were very upset about the idea of tall townhomes backing onto their homes. Mm -hmm. And others were terribly upset about the idea of tall townhomes fronting the road. So it was a question of who did the city council listen to? because the developer wanted, needed financially to be able to do big townhomes on this piece of property somewhere. And the various people that came to the meetings had very different ideas about where they should go. Mm -hmm. The ones whose property backed up onto it, they wanted the tall ones on the street. The people who frequented the downtown areas and the stores and drove by, they wanted the streetscape to stay smaller town and put the taller stuff back against the other residential areas. Mm-hmm. So they ended up doing a compromise. But the, the, the city council in that town definitely listened because, probably because they knew if they didn't listen to anybody, they wouldn't get reelected. Do you think, and I know that now you, you've been back here a relatively short period of time. I've so, been here 20 years. Okay, okay, all right, yeah. then I'm mistaken on that. Do you feel, so? I, and again, I'm a curmudgeon, I admit it, um, you know, after going around with, you know, King County and da-da-da and seeing things and, you know, I mean, I'm a curmudgeon and I really have reached the point where I'm going, I'm not so sure that, you know, anybody really listens you're mentioning that re-election thing, but do you think that's a huge motivator out here? It's not exactly like we have a huge population of people who run for city council and all that kind of stuff every time. I don't really know much about the politics out here. I said I've been here 20 years. I've been on in the Seattle area for yeah. 20 years. Yeah. I've only been living out here in the Valley for eight months. Okay. I moved from Issaquah. Mm-hmm. In Issaquah, development is outrageous. Oh, well, that's a done deal. But I mean, in Issaquah, Issaquah is just, you know. Oh, they have a 30-year plan mm-hmm. that they developed with a major commercial property owner who mm-hmm. owns most of the developable property yeah. in the urban area of Issaquah. And they did a development agreement with them. Well, I don't know if they did, actually did a formal development agreement, but because that's, it's a 30-year plan, and that's a long time for a development agreement. But that was very, very planned out. Mm-hmm. Uh, and it is going full steam right now. I know. Now, I went into Issaquah not too long ago, and I thought, oh, my gosh. Oh, I don't yeah. even reckon. And just like a whole separate Issaquah on the other side of the freeway now, you know. Oh, yeah. Yeah. yeah it's just crazy. Yeah. When I moved out here, Redmond didn't have anything of what it has now. Oh, I know. Oh, I mean, it's just, you know, it's entirely different. And I understand that people on this side of the valley are not interested in their towns becoming Redmond or what Issaquah is becoming now. Exactly. I was talking to somebody the other day, and they were expressing concern about, you know, the the style of architecture and the layouts and, you know, and 
we were saying how Bothell, which used to be very, you know, have a very distinct character. You can't tell the difference between Bothell and Redmond. And, you know, and some of these, they're all the same architecture, the same idea, the same everything. My thought about that is, okay, and in 30 years, that's all going to be old. And it's all going to be old at the same time. What's the likelihood that they're going to be able, you know, usually when communities upkeep and rebuild and it's done, you know, here, a little here, a little there, a little there, because the community grew a little, you know, this year and then in 10 years and da 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 now it seems like Redmond and Bothell and some of the other communities, they're all growing, boom, right now, within two years, all the architecture is the same, the entire place is the same. In 30 years, the entire place will be old and outdated. <laughs> well, that's true, but how it's maintained is everything. Yeah, You know, there are a lot of areas that, uh, if you look around now, that are 30, 40 years old and have been well-maintained ma- well and are beautiful areas. Um, it really depends on how the buildings are maintained, how the streetscapes are maintained when it comes yeah. to these very boxy-looking modern buildings. Yeah. Um, are they softened over the years mm-hmm. by vegetation? Well, that's it. For I'm, instance. You know, I mean, a lot of people really prefer communities where those trees have had a chance to grow and, and grow. But I think that, at least right now, what I'm seeing is that we have such influx you know, uh, of new people and younger people. And, you know, and the tendency is we want brand new and sparkly. Yes, absolutely. You know? And uh, trees are not all that favored, interestingly enough. Oh, that's uh, Well, that's a person, that's a very personal observation. Well, that's what I we're doing here. To test that's what we're doing here. <laughs> all I know is that when we sold our house in Issaquah in a very beautifully treed area, and we had a cedar in the backyard that was an ecosystem in itself absolutely beautiful trees in the backyard Mm. um very very nice home that we updated beautifully and all that the first dozen people who came through said oh we love the house we love the house but those trees in the back <gasps> you're kidding we were shocked well that smacks it we remember shocked. remember when we had the first big wave of californians that came in oh yeah and the first thing they would do is cut down the trees they saw those trees as a huge threat yes i don't know whether they were worried about fire or windstorms or what but i mean i, I was know. always just so gobsmacked that these people would just cut down, chop down these trees. It was like these trees were nasty and you needed to get rid of them. So it sounds like that is, it must depend on what geographic area you come from when you relocate. My husband and I decided they came from Mars, but, you know, and we ended up selling it to a couple that lived in the area already. Did they leave the tree? Oh, yes. Oh, thank goodness. Oh, yes. Yeah. Yes. Isn't that Uh, funny? Yeah. As a matter of fact, I think they're going to build a, little play area for their son underneath it because oh, it's that be really lovely? kind of magical under there oh yeah. but the people who are moving out here into these new developments i i don't know if they're already living on the east side or in seattle and are moving out because they now have children and want homes mm-hmm. and want more home for the same amount of money that's usually what yeah. drives people to move farther away from their mm-hmm. job and from job centers. Yeah. Um, but they want new. Mm-hmm. They want more money for their dollar. 
And good luck with that. <laughs> excuse me, more house for their dollar. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> uh, but that's the kind of thing that the people locally. I, I know they understand that, mm-hmm. um, but it's kind of hard to deal with yeah. when you have a new neighborhood coming in right next to you, mm-hmm. and it's homes that you can't afford. Yeah. But the fact is that that's market forces. Yeah. You know, all this talk about affordable housing, you know, there's mm-hmm. a lot of talk on Facebook about why aren't they doing affordable housing on this project? Um, That the original owner, when they put in for a rezone, and that rezone, by the way, has not been finalized. Oh, wow. So that developer, I mean, let's just talk dollars and cents. That developer is sinking a lot of money into planning for something. Realistically, it's going to go in one shape or another. I mean, the likelihood that it's just not going to fly is minimal around here. Um, Maybe in some communities somewhere in the United States, they could knock it out of the ballpark. But let's face it, here with demand, with every, you know, I mean, it's going to go in one shape or another, or form or another. Um, But they're still, they're sinking a lot of money into speculation. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, that's true. Whenever a developer takes on the potential of developing a piece of land, and especially one of this size and complexity. Well, it's actually not that big, but for here it is, because there aren't very many huge tracks. Yeah. 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 Um, They have to sink a lot of money into it. There's a lot of planning that goes on. Mm -hmm. There's a lot of engineering that goes on. There's a lot of studies that go on. You've got to do all the different analyses, the lawyers involved. Mm -hmm are not inexpensive. Nothing is simple anymore. Oh, no, no, no. Yeah, I mean, remember back in the day, you know, our parents, you know, I mean, they'd buy an acre and they'd build their house and that was that. They might have to get a building permit. And that's it. And that was it. Now it's like everything is such a big deal. Is that just changes in times or is that our area because there's such huge demand or is that just the way the world is now? That's the way, well, I don't know about the world, but it's certainly <laughs> the way this country is now. Yeah. Uh, the There are, you know, you can blame the federal government to a certain extent because of the various environmental things. But I would say, it, it, and again, my opinion, while the regulations can get onerous, I also believe they're necessary. Mm-hmm. They're necessary to prevent environmental degradation. They're necessary to prevent people from taking advantage of a situation mm-hmm. simply because they own a piece of property. Well, and like you said, we need, there's so many of us. It's yes. not like there's one person for every 20 acres. We're, we're crowded now. We're yes. crowded. Even even out here, we're crowded, much more crowded than we were 40, 50 years ago. So when you have a lot of rats in the same cage, you got to have, you know, partitions and you got to have rules and you got to have all that kind of stuff. So I, I think that I agree with you. I, I think it's just a function of where we are, you know, as a species, you know, where there's just too many of us. We've got to have more rules. Um, you know, where the, the frontier is long gone. And... This particular area, the Pacific Northwest Mm -hmm. in general, is attracting more and more people. Absolutely. I read in the newspaper this morning, as a matter of fact, in the Seattle Times, uh, some report, and I do not remember where it came from, that 
Seattle is the second most popular area in the country for millennials to move to. Millennials being defined as people who were born, I believe, between 82 and 95 or 85 and 92, something like that. Pew Research uh, says millennials are those who were born from 85 to the turn of the century. Okay, this this particular one did not include people who were born in the Mm mid-90s because I think 96 and and up or something like that because Mm -hmm. they were still teenagers at a certain time. But in any case, we are second only to Portland. Ooh. Ooh, as the favorite destination okay. I'm gonna for have millennials. To, I'm going to have to uh, have a moment to digest that. So let's take a little break, and then we're going to come back, and I want to ask you more about the law, because you are okay. an expert. You're our expert anyway, and uh, there's lots of stuff that impacts us that we don't think a lot about when we're talking about law, and especially in this area. So I want to come back, and I want to talk more about the law. We're going to take a break. I'm Heather Stark here on Valley Talk with my special guest and our new volunteer, Christy Fox. And we are going to be back right after this. You're alone in the car. You don't know why. You're just not sure. There was something up there. Something out there. You heard it. You saw the eyes. The radio was on. It was Desert Oracle Radio on Valley 104.9 Community Radio. Sundays at 8 p.m. <laughs> Desert Oracle Radio, the voice of the desert. Hello, late night listeners. Join me, Garrett, on Valley Underground for left of center independent and alternative listening Saturdays from 12 to 2 a.m. on Valley 104.9, your station for Northwest eclectic music. Welcome back to Valley Talk. I'm Heather Stark, your host, and I have with me a special volunteer and resident, Christy Fox. She's a Washington State attorney, and we've been having the best discussion, or at least I, I enjoy these discussions. You know, we were saying during break that a lot of people don't understand how the systems work, how the governmental systems work, and I agree with that. I, I think that, you know, part of me, and again, that's probably the old curmudgeon part, but I really think, you know, what happened to uh, civics? Remember when we used to teach civics? This is how the government works. This is a, I don't, I haven't heard of a civics class for a while, but I'm thinking maybe we, it's time to rethink that because I don't think people understand not only how the system works, whether it's things like a developmental agreement at the city council level or the county council level, all the way up to, you know, legislate. I've, I've attended legislative hearings. And as I mentioned to Christy, my heart breaks because people will testify and they're they're pouring their hearts out and you can just see how ineffective that is before that legislative body. They don't want to hear that. And not because they're evil or mean or whatever. It's just because the hats that they wear require them to look at things with a different, I always say, a different pair of glasses uh, than what we are looking at them for. And yet I will see people go to hearings of different kinds and they're just heartbroken and your heart is breaking for them and for their situation. And yet the way that they're presenting it, they're going to get nowhere with that. Nowhere. It's not going to affect any change whatsoever. And you were saying this about the whole development thing. You know, people don't understand how this system works. And the system is very complicated. You know, we, we've got people in the area who are very concerned about affordable housing, senior mm-hmm. housing, yeah. and they think that it's the responsibility somehow of the property owners 
<laughs> to respond to that. And if they don't respond to those needs, which are very real, that they are cold, heartless, don't mm-hmm. care, don't care about the community, all that kind of thing. Affordable housing is not something that a commercial developer does. They just don't. Well, you know, let, let's bag it up. Because I always say, I, I used to teach at, at uh, North Seattle Community College, and I would I taught a radio class, and, and I would always say, why do you think a radio station exists? Why do you think a newspaper exists? And these students would give me great big lofty explanations, you know, to inform the public and to affect social change and blah, 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 blah. And I would say, wrong, 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 wrong. They exist to make a profit. Absolutely. They exist to make a profit. And there's nothing evil about that. Don't you wish you could make a profit so you can pay for your home and buy your groceries and put your kids through school? We all want to make a profit. It's not a nasty word. These businesses exist so they can make a profit. If they stop making a profit, they can't exist any longer. Because they make a profit, then they can go next on the list and affect social change or inform the public or whatever. I don't know why people think that making a profit is an evil thing. But I think when they're looking at things like corporations or developers or whatever, they immediately assume that because they're making a profit, it's just evil. Well, I think to a certain extent, uh, corporate America has brought that on itself because they are only concerned with making a profit. But again, that goes back to the law. The law is now such that corporations only are allowed to be concerned to with value to their shareholders. Mm-hmm. And they are very vulnerable if they put something else, like the good of a community that they're mm-hmm. working in, above returning value to their shareholders. Yes. And, so, and if you are a person who, who has stock in a company... That's what you want. Exactly. I think it's amazing that we have such socially conscious and socially responsible corporate, large corporations, especially in this neck of the woods. You know, I mean, the Amazons and the whatevers. I mean, boy, you know, they do a lot for the community. They really do. And yet there's no law that says they have to. No, there is no law that says they have to. Um, talking about, for instance, the development that we're talking about in this area. Mm-hmm. And when people talk about, oh, they should have to do this, they should have to have affordable housing, they should have to have senior housing, Mm -hmm. what they're talking about is property rights. Yeah. And you cannot legally or even ethically when you get down to it, you cannot deny the property rights of the owner of a parcel that is big enough to be developed. You can't say, "Oh, you can't do that with your with your property because we want you to do this." Well, except without putting minute, the same we, restrictions on your own property. But we do do that. We do put restrictions on what a property owner can do. We say you can't build this because there's a wetlands. We say you you can't yes. build, you know, your zoned uh, R5 so you can't have more than one house per 5 acres. I mean, we do say that. Yes, and those reg- those restrictions, zoning, environmental restrictions, all of those things are in constant tension mm-hmm. with property rights. It's a constant balancing act. Mm-hmm. It's a balancing act that is tested on a daily basis 
in courts, in city council meetings, mm-hmm. all over the country. Yeah. And that tension will always exist because it's the difference between an individual, whether you're talking about a person or a company, an individual's company's property rights and the public good. Now, that's what development agreements are supposed to address. Mm-hmm. It's supposed to address the conflict between them, the tension between them, and the compromises. It's a negotiated agreement that says to a property owner, we will let you do this that is not exactly what our zoning laws require. We will give you this leeway that we feel does not hurt the public good in exchange for you contributing something to the public good that if you went just by those zoning rules, say, those setback rules, those housing mix rules, whatever they happen to be, you would not be required to do. If you came in here and asked for individual variances, we might say yes, we might say no, but you wouldn't be required to do all these other things that this development agreement requires you to do. And in exchange, we will give you these variances and we will vest in you the right to keep those variances for a period of years. Now, do you know, vesting is when, if you apply for a building permit, this is an example of vesting. If you apply for a building permit and you get a building permit, when you got that building permit, you got the right to build whatever structure you got a permit for on that piece of property, no matter how the laws change after you got your permit. Mm-hmm. So if the law changed and said, well, we are now require you, if you're going to build a new home, you have to put in sprinkler system throughout that home, which happens to be something in the code now, at least in the county code. But if you got your building, bef- your building permit before mm-hmm. that code was changed to require that, you don't have to do it they because you're that grandfathering, right? That you're grandfathered in. It's it's kind of the like same. Like with setbacks and things like that. Yeah, yeah, it's kind of the same, except grandfathering generally has to do with something that's already there. Okay. So once it's there. Once okay, it's I, there, you're I grandfathered. Yeah. What vesting does is that basically says that we agreed that you could do this. And even if things change, even if we change the rules, you can still do it okay. because we agreed to it before mm-hmm. the rules changed. Now, a development agreement doesn't vest everything. They mm-hmm. still have to, if building codes change, they still have to do that. If environmental conditions mm-hmm. change, they still have to do that. But if, for instance, this main view thing is approved, they get to do the mix of homes mm-hmm that the development agreement said they could do. They have, it also includes, I think, a smaller setback for the townhomes. That kind of thing is vested. They get to do it. And they've got 10 years to do it. Mm -hmm. But again, this development agreement is contingent on the zoning change going through. And what's the process for that? When did they apply that, for the zoning change and how long does it take? The zoning change was applied for a couple years ago. And is that county? No, that's city. That's zone. city. Okay. It's yeah. city property and that's city. Yeah. 
And I think the zoning change was, I'm not entirely sure, but I think the zoning change was applied for by the owner of the property. Mainview does not own the property yet. Mm -hmm. They are uh, still under contract with the owners of the property. And the development agreement is contingent on the zoning change being approved. And my guess is, and I don't know this because I haven't seen the contract between Mainview and the owners of the property, but my guess is that their contract to buy the property is contingent on the zoning change going through. Yeah, I bet. It, yeah. I bet it is. So yeah. Mainview does, is not the owner at this point. Yeah. They won't be the owner until all of this is approved. Well, we're, we're talking about the complexity of these things. Look at all, also the timing. Oh, yeah. My gosh, years. 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 And that's why, you know, one of the big discussions on Facebook about this was that Mainview wouldn't commit to the price of the homes. They wouldn't even commit to the square footage well, how and all can that they? kind of I thing. I mean, look at the cost of building a home today versus three years ago. Well, it's a combination of, the, oh, yeah, I just built one, I know. Um, <laughs> It's a combination of the fact that prices change. And frankly, for building a home, if we go into a recession and building gets really tough and there isn't that much going on, the price can go down because labor will go down. Yeah. But the other thing is that, and this is something that a lot of people don't really understand, is that the market can change. The demand for different kinds of housing. We are in a different market right now than we were a year ago. A year ago, houses at 800 to 1.2 million were going like mad. Now, eh, not so much. Mm -hmm. Not so much. Now, you know. And so a developer is looking at a number of years out. Mm-hmm. And they're so, making projections. And, and they're projections making projections. Yeah. But their goal, as you said, is to make money. And they will sell, they will build to sell whatever it is they decide in their best knowledge with the best research they can come up with is what will make them the most money. And that includes sell the fastest because sitting mm-hmm. on inventory of unsold homes is extremely expensive. Absolutely. So, well, and uh, you know, you were talking about the you know community good, you know, the affordability homes or the homes mm-hmm. for senior citizens or whatever. It's a huge issue. It is an absolute huge issue. And I was talking with uh, a county official who shall remain nameless, and that person said, "Well, we're very aware." Because I said, "You know, you, not a week goes by." that you don't hear about some seniors having to sell their homes that they've lived in for decades because they're being taxed into oblivion. They can't afford it anymore. And they have to move. And I read a survey once. I should have saved it. But most seniors want to just live their lives. and They want to die in their house. They want to die in their house, you know, and hopefully not soon, you know, yeah. <laughs> later rather than sooner. But they don't want to be uprooted and have to move. Uh, now, a lot of people look forward to that. I understand that. But the majority of people, at least in this survey, was, you know, no, this is the home we've been in for a long time, and that's the home we want to stay in, and we paid for it, and it's paid, so we should be okay, and boom, no, it's not okay. You know, property taxes have gone up, you know, $500 a month in the last three years, you know, that kind of thing. Um, and so they're being priced out of their homes, and at the time in their lives when they would like to be able to relax and just live out their lives, they're being forced to look for different housing, 
usually in a different place because if your house is worth $500,000 here and you sell it, you're not going to, you know, you, you, good luck finding something for $500,000 or $400,000 around here. So you're probably going to have to go to a different area, maybe away from your kids, maybe closer to your kids, you know, who knows. But it, it's tremendous upheaval at that stage in life when people normally are not looking for big upheaval. Um, and the county representative that I talked to said, oh, we're very aware and we're looking at solutions. We're looking at the solutions. And the way she said it, I kind of went, Hmm. Do these solutions have something to do with building high rises and shoving senior citizens in there rather than allowing them coming up with ideas for for them to stay in their homes? Because I know my daughter lived in California for a while. and She said there in California, you buy your house and that's your tax base. It doesn't they don't reevaluate your property every year. Then you sell your house and that new person has a new tax rate and that's the one that they're taxed on. So when taxes go up, it's not, oh, I bought my house for $200,000 and now it's 10 years later and my house is worth $400,000 and I'm being taxed, you know, X percentage a month on 400000 not the 100000 And inst- it just struck me that instead of looking at solutions like that to keep seniors in their homes, I think the solutions that they're looking at is, well, we'll find them cheaper houses to live in. Which really isn't a solution, as you said. The state of Florida did something similar many, many years ago. They have a tax system there, a property tax system. Um, If your house is homesteaded, which means if you live there, if that is your primary residence, then the uh, assessed value can only go up so much per year and it's yeah. minimal. Mm-hmm. Now, when you sell your home, it gets reassessed at market value. But it's similar to it's similar to California's yeah. and I don't know, I frankly I don't remember all of mm-hmm. the specifics in terms of percentages and all that. But what it does effectively and they did it for that reason to keep seniors from being priced out of being taxed out of Mm -hmm. the homes that they had lived in all their lives but with the influx of people moving to florida raising property values Mm -hmm. raising taxes it keeps taxes from going up for people who have been there a long time but it had to be homesteaded, which means it had to be the owner's primary residence. Which makes sense. Of course, because if it's a rental home... Then that's an investment. It's an investment. And, yep, that's Totally different. different story. Well, you know, when I was talking with my... I have a friend who lives in California, or her family lives in California, and I was telling her about that and saying that I think that that way of taxing... She said, yeah, but that way of taxing really hurt the state. Oh, it does. And, you know... So, you know, all of these things, uh, you know, there's pluses and minuses on all of this stuff. You know, it just it's we come back to that whole it's just such a complicated world we live in right now. And development is just one area where it's so complicated. And taxes are a big part of it. Yeah. Uh, Taxes in property taxes are constitutionally determined to a great extent Mm -hmm. in Washington state. Because Washington State has a constitutional provision that says that property has to be taxed at the same rate. Like property has to be taxed at the same rate. Like meaning the same kind of property. Mm -hmm. So you can't tax one house at one tax rate and another house at another tax rate. The difference is 
have to do with how much the tax the, the house is worth. So any any changes to the Washington State and to Washington State property tax scheme would have to pass constitutional muster. Mm-hmm. There are a lot of people who are very, very, very capable of figuring out something that would um, make that work. Th- yeah, 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 yeah. It would be, of course, challenged um, in court as the Seattle City tax was, the Seattle City income and I, tax. And I want to save that because we're going to go to a break here in a, in a couple of minutes, and I want to talk about that when we come back because this has been a huge thing. You know, the state constitution says no income tax, and yet the city of Seattle, in all of their wisdom and glory, decided that no, no, <laughs> we need an, a, a, an income tax for the city. Um, and so that has been in the news, and you've done some studying up on that, and I want to talk more about that in just a minute. The other thing that I want to talk about when we return are some of the, de- we've talked mostly about development mm-hmm. because of this thing that's going on in Carnation, but you are also very on top of things that are happening all over the state as far as laws, and you know, you get the legal updates and all that kind of stuff, and I want to just pick your brain a little bit before we wrap up the show to what's, what's going on out there, you know, what, what, what is it that the lawyers and the Supreme Court and the appellate courts and all of that kind of stuff are dealing with that we never hear about. So let's talk about that when we come back, and let's take a break now, and uh, join us as we come back. I'm Heather Stark with Valley Talk. <laughs> Remember to join us at 1 p.m. on Sunday for Animal Radio. Animal Radio is America's most listened-to pet show. The nearly two-hour celebration of our pets is hosted by veterinarian talent Hal Abrams and Judy Francis. So tune in, 1 p.m. Sunday, Animal Radio. Where else are you going to hear Emerson, Lake, and Palmer, Genesis, Joe Cocker, Bjork, 10CC, and other interesting music other than Equinox on Friday evenings with Ian and John, right here on Valley 104.9. Hi, this is Amy Arrington, City Manager of the City of Carnation. Would you like to know more about what's happening here in the City of Carnation? If so, please join me every Sunday at 6 p.m. for Carnation Currents here on Valley 104.9. Carnation Currents is a 30-minute show where we talk about various topics that are important to the residents, such as upcoming business of the City Council, many of our current projects like the Tolt Avenue Corridor Project, and any other topics that we think are very important to you and, and have an impact on your daily lives. So please tune in and join me for Carnation Currents every Sunday at 6 p.m. here on Valley 104.9. Welcome back to Valley Talk. I'm Heather Stark, and I'm here with our special guest, Christy Fox. Christy has a legal background. She's a Washington State attorney. She's also done a lot of uh, real estate development. And we've just been having the most informative conversation about how these real estate development things work. And we kind of segued from that into the whole tax system because, you know, let's face it. I mean, how many of us really understand how these things work? Most of us don't and until it hits us and we have to become informed about a particular issue. But I think these kind of, uh, kinds of discussions are really important. 
And especially since we've been talking about taxes, let's talk about what's happening with that whole income tax thing. City of Seattle decided that they were going, who cares about that state constitution? We're going to have a state income tax because, you know, we need just a little bit more money. And um, interesting things happen. Christy, tell us about how that uh, fared in appellate court. Well, the way it fared in the appellate court was actually, I think, the way the city wanted it to. I think they considered it a win. What happened was the city of Seattle passed a city income tax on high earners only. I believe it was people, individuals who made more than 250000 and a couple who made more than 500000 I was going to say, in this day and age and in this environment, is, really, is 250000 really a high earner? I think that depends on who you talk to. I mean, I certainly don't make it. But I mean, I I think that, you know, I mean, with the cost of housing, the cost of groceries, the cost of everything, I'm not sure. And if you had a family of four, I'm not sure 250,000 would be a high, certainly comfortable, but I'm not sure it'd be considered a high earner anymore. Well, that's what the city of Seattle called it. Yeah. Okay. So. And they know. Well, (laughs) they know. They know, of Of course course. they do. Anyways, that's what they did. They passed it. And they knew perfectly well that it would be challenged in court. Uh, so they, it was challenged in but court. But they thought they could beat it. They, they had their little explanation of why it was not. Yes, exactly. And it ended up, of course, at the appellate court. They lost at the uh, superior court level. The first place a suit goes is mm-hmm. to the superior court, the county court. And they lost there. And they actually asked for it to go directly to the Supreme state Supreme Court. Now, there's a state Supreme Court. There's a U.S. Supreme mm-hmm. Court. This is a state issue. It goes to the state Supreme Court. They now, I, asked, now, let me interrupt you just yeah. a little bit because, you know, not being an attorney, I want to make sure I understand. My understanding is, is that you go to court. Mm-hmm. The court makes a decision. Yes. If you don't agree with that decision and you think you, they called it wrong, then you can take it to the Supreme Court, a higher court. If you think that it was a wrong decision because they screwed something up, then you appeal it in the appellate court? No, the way it works is that if you get a, you you take it to, you take something to court, if you get a decision that you don't agree with, you can appeal it to the appellate court. The appellate court, the state appellate courts are the next level. There I thought th- they only did something if there was something wrong that uh, led to the to the dis- wrong decision. No. They, okay. You can basically appeal a decision to okay. the state appellate court if you don't agree with you it. You just don't like it. You just don't yeah. like it. Okay. Um, and there is lots of details about do you get the commissioner, mm-hmm. do you get the three, ba- you know, there's just yeah. all kinds of things like that. But basically, if you get have a, an adverse decision, a decision against you at the superior court level, mm-hmm. then you appeal to the state appellate court. Mm-hmm. If at the appellate court level, you get a decision that is against you and you don't like, then you ask the state Supreme Court to hear it. And they can say yes or no. And that court only will take cases that have to do with constitutional issues? No. Anything. They will they take, take cases. They will take all kinds of see, cases. See what happens when you get your law information from TV? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Uh, no, they, they will take... They will take Cases for a variety of issues. Okay. They will take cases, for instance, there are three different appellate court districts in Washington State. If the same legal issue 
is before, say, two of the three appellate courts. And the appellate courts decide differently. Then the Supreme Court will take a case to set the law for the state. So the Supreme Court is daddy. The Supreme Court is daddy. Okay. The Supreme Court is daddy. But the Supreme Court does not have to take a case. They get to choose what they, they get to choose what so they, they take. think if they think it's just trivial, it's not worth our time. Well, then... it's if it's something that, you know, the law is pretty settled and there's nothing new to be said about it, mm-hmm. then they won't take it. Okay. Um, if all the appellate courts have agreed and the Supreme Court agrees, they won't take it. There's a lot of different reasons that they take something or don't. Mm-hmm. Um, there, are, there are some things that are immediately appealed to the Supreme Court. They don't bother with an appellate court. Um, but most things go through the appellate court. Now, the city of Seattle asked the st- state Supreme Court to be able to take their case directly and skip the appellate court. And that is the kind of thing that the state Supreme Court would, in a lot of cases, do because mm-hmm. it was a constitutional question. It had to do with a municipality and not individual private people. Mm-hmm. Um, but they didn't. They turned it down and they said, no, you have to go to the appellate court first, which was kind of unusual, but they did it. So the appellate court decided, the appellate court issued their ruling a few weeks ago. And what the appellate court said was that the law that the law that passed the income tax for the city of Seattle was unconstitutional mm-hmm. because back to property taxes that we were talking about before the state constitution requires that the same type of property be taxed at the same rate and the state Supreme Court many years ago ruled that income is property. Okay. And they confirmed that ruling a few times, but it's been quite a while since they visited that subject. But logically, if income is property and the Constitution requires, the state Constitution requires that all income be taxed at the same rate, then you can't tax people who make only a certain amount of money without taxing mm-hmm. everybody. And so this is where you said the reason they kicked it out is because they, the city of Seattle only wanted to impose income tax on the higher exactly. incomes. But what you're saying is is that um, they, they ruled it unconstitutional because of that reason. So that I can see why you're saying the city of Seattle would be very excited because now... Can't they say, okay, then we can put, impose the income tax on everybody? Well, there was a second thing to this. There okay. was a second part to it that made it illegal for them to oppose a state income tax. And that was a state statute passed by the legislature, uh, legislature I believe, in 1984, that made it illegal for municipalities or counties to impose an income tax of any kind. Okay. So basically, the city of Seattle could not impose any kind of income tax under state law. So why did the city feel so confident that what they were doing they could well, get away with? this is where they won. Because the appellate court found that law that the legislator passed in 1984 
to be unconstitutional. On what basis? It violated the single subject rule. Uh, The state of Washington has a rule that all bills, each individual piece of legislation, has to cover only one subject. Mm -hmm. So you can't do something like, oh, this is a bill about logging. And in the meantime, we're going to put on an amendment that says that, um, I can't even think of something that's completely different. Yeah, that, that all schools in logging areas get extra money well, for books now, or something? That, or? No, that one, that one would be the same thing. Because okay. it's about logging. Okay, okay. It would so be, what I'm thinking of is when, you know, I mean, the federal government does this all the time. They do it all the time. You know, we'll, we'll pass legislation and And, and then and we budgeting, tack on all know, these for, bills. For the National Guard over there. Yes. And meanwhile, then build a school over here. You yes, know, if, yes, yeah, exactly. Yeah. They do things that are entirely unrelated. Yeah. And they do it to get things that are unpopular passed. They do it to make any bill that passes a negotiation between conflicting interests. Well, that brings us full circle because then they, everything is so layered and so convoluted that nobody knows. Exactly. I mean, we did that with that first, you know, federal health care bill where they were carrying the documents in on hand trucks. I think there should be a law that says if you can't read it, you can't vote for it. You know, I actually like that one. (laughs) You know, I mean, I personally think the United States constitution should be uh, amended to have a single subject rule. Yeah, because the Congress, U.S. Congress, gets away with murder by sticking things oh, into yeah. bills that have nothing to do with and the major subject. And it's wasteful subject. and everything. It's but... wasteful. It's corruptible. Yeah. Most pork projects are that way. But anyways, back to Washington State. Washington State has a single subject rule, which means that any bill that's passed has to be about one subject. Now that can be pretty attenuated, mm-hmm. but. This particular one that passed in 1984 saying that counties and cities could not impose an income Mm -hmm. tax, a local income tax, the bill was about a whole bunch of different things having to do with local powers, what cities and counties could and couldn't do. And they were all over the map. Yeah. And what happened was the appellate court, the first first division appellate court that ruled on this said that there were too many different things in that bill. Okay, so here we are now at this point in the in the game, mm-hmm. and um, we're we're saying okay. So this is what I've he- been hearing people say. So now there's been one legislate state legislator who has already announced that he will propose legislation in January when uh, the session starts to take care of that loophole to get that thing back to one subject and voted on again. But meanwhile, that leaves every municipality in the state open to imposing. Attacks? I guarantee you it is being, when I say I guarantee you, it, I can't imagine it not at this time being appealed to the state Supreme Court. Yeah. yeah. Because it is a constitutional issue about the constitutionality of a law, yeah. of a state law. 
they're not going to do anything. Nothing is going to be effective until the state Supreme Court mm-hmm. rules on whether or not that statute is actually constitutional. What they will but, decide, who knows? But that doesn't prevent some le- state legislator from introducing legislation that does meet the criteria. Oh, absolutely. When the absolutely. If the legislature passes a bill saying no county or municipality mm-hmm. can pass a income tax, a local income tax, and it doesn't say anything else, then the law is back on the books and they can't do it. Wow. They'd have to get it passed. Very exciting stuff, and I am so uh, 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 grateful for your expertise because you really, I, you know, I, I fancy myself as being fairly knowledgeable about some of these things, but, you know, who can be that knowledgeable? So I really appreciate it, and I'm also glad that you're going to be hanging around. This is not going to be the first time that we're going to have discussions about some of the stuff that's going on locally as well as in the state that impact all of us, and we're going to rely on your legal expertise. So anything that I forgot to ask you about these two particular things that we were talking about today? Uh, Oh, they are so complex, and there's so much to talk about. We just don't have time in one hour show. Well, then we're just going to have to do it again. That's right. Christy Fox, thank you so much for joining me. We're going to be hearing from you again right here on Valley 104.9 FM. I'm Heather Stark for Valley Talk. Join us again next week.